HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Fulton Stall Market, reopening their outdoor market in the Seaport District in May 2021. Learn more at fultonstallmarket.org. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On today's episode, we are joined by Susie Karachi, who is the founder of The Mediterranean Dish. The Mediterranean Dish is a leading online resource for cooking spanning the breadth of Mediterranean region from south of Europe to North America and the Middle East. We talk about the origins of the blog and how to adapt your diet to the Mediterranean cuisine. Later on in the show, we're joined by Salt Lake City Cinders, who's been building a solid following with their infectious indie pop rock. The band gives us a live performance, which includes Growing Up, the first single from their new album dropping later this year. Thanks for listening. Sit back, relax, and here's another episode of Snacky Tunes on HRN. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. We are joined today by Susie Karachi of the Mediterranean Dish, a incredible website for all things Mediterranean recipes. Uh, super approachable, really easy to cook from. Uh, we love it over here. And Susie, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you. Excited to be here. Let's go back uh, to your youth. You were born in Egypt. Um, take us back. What were some of the earliest dishes and flavors that you remember from your childhood that you associate with that time? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a big list. <laughs> uh, well, I, yeah, I was born and raised in Port Said, Egypt, right on the Mediterranean. And um, I remember eating a lot of seafood, a lot of different um, fish and um, other seafood dishes just because being on the Mediterranean, that was pretty accessible and um, and very fresh. So my mom did a lot of that. We um, we never had a meal without a few salads. Uh, so that was another thing that was just kind of like the way that we ate. Um, a few salads. Right, yeah. Uh, what were some of the, the salads? And was it always different uh, or some like fall seasonal or, or was there some just like you always had to have this salad on the table no matter what? So we always had uh, just the simple tomato and cucumber salad that most of the Middle East and the Mediterranean will will have a version of. And then depending on the day, um, my mom would, could repurpose any other veggie for a salad. Uh, we always have like lots of small dishes uh, on the table. Um, so yeah, I just remember a lot of vivid, very bright foods. Um, and obviously some of the main like super Egyptian things, uh, such as like we had, a, we have falafel, obviously everyone knows what that is now. And uh, lots of different like stuffed ve veggies, like, mm -hmm. um, you, you know, stuffed grape leaves and that kind of thing in the Egyptian style. So we, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a long list. I can go on. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds wonderful. Um, what were what are some of the techniques that you use today that you learned in your mom's kitchen cooking at her side? Yeah, for sure, how to roll grape leaves. <laughs> What's the secret? Yeah, well, I think it's just it comes with practice. And I used to sit with her at the round kitchen table, and she would like you know open up the leaf, and she would say, you know, here's where you trim it. You put this much uh, rice. Don't put too much, or it will just explode, and and that kind of thing. So, and then she would show me like you know fold here and fold there, and kind of roll it up, you know, away from you. And so, I did a lot of that with her. Um, so I remember that for sure. Um, also working with phyllo dough, mm. I learned, I, I learned from her, um, because a lot of people like are, are afraid to work with phyllo because it breaks and, oh. and all of that. But, um, but I just, I, I'm very comfortable working with it, like for baklava and other things like that. So, you know, it's interesting, it's interesting. You bring up great leaves, which is, you know, uh, head on a simple dish. And I think we've all had good stuffed grape leaves very rarely do you get great stuffed grape leaves right like a, a good national dish or a good thing it's like the spanish tortilla you can get a good spanish tortilla but to make a great one you've got to do it right. like a thousand times are there any yeah. other dishes besides that because i think most people by now know stuffed grape leaves are there any really uh dishes that come to mind that are like if you look at it, you're like oh that seems simple five ingredients one thing but it takes a lifetime to master yeah for sure. Um, we, I mean, we did a lot with stuffed things. Like my mom also did stuffed, like our turkey for Christmas would have been a stuffed turkey with frika, uh, which is not, I think, is not super easy to make. And I don't make that today for my family, but it's <laughs> another one. Um, and like stuffed chicken and all sorts of stuffed things for some reason was was a was a, a deal like at my parents house um i do remember though like working with seafood and fish especially i think a lot of people at least in my circle are afraid to like for example grill an entire fish um and we do that and and we love it um so that that one is more alexandria style from egypt and um 
the way we did it was just on a flat a flat grill, something like a cast iron uh, flat grill, um, which makes it a lot simpler than trying to work on the uh, on your gas grill. So, yeah, I think if I had to sit down and think of all the big things that I learned from my mom, it would be a long list. Yeah. Uh, you you traveled extensively um, around you know the area where you grew up. How did you see the flavors and ingredients you grew up with reinterpreted when you got to other parts of the region? I did a bit of traveling with my parents, but more as an adult, I kind of paid attention to food and uh, different cultures and customs. And uh, I think, like for example, Greece. I traveled to Greece as an adult and just loved more the similarities between Greek and Egyptian food. There's a ton there. And that's probably not, it's it's not uncommon because in Egypt, we had a lot of Greeks living in Egypt for a long, long time up until recently. My family, actually, we have some very close Greek friends we, we lived with. And mm. so I think it was interesting for me as an adult to see that translated in like when I traveled and to see things that, you know, like uh, grilled sardines or obviously stuffed grape leaves, all sorts of different salads, uh, very, very, very close to what I grew up with. Um, so I, for sure, I love celebrating the, the common things that uh, Mediterranean countries have uh, together and just living in a port city because Port Said is is the main port to the Suez Canal, which has been in the news lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, we just, I mean, we had all sorts of people and influences, you know, from Italian to Spanish to Greek to Turkish, uh, Lebanese, Palestinian, Israeli. All of these foods we we all like borrowed and shared a lot of the. Of the flavors from. So I, I was never surprised when I traveled abroad to to eat something that tasted like home. Mm. And I always loved that. And for those who are not as well versed, what is the typical staple of a Mediterranean diet? What are you going to find the, the ingredients? I know you mentioned salad and some things, but like what makes up those dishes that are this is the quintessential, you put it on the table, you go, oh, this is Mediterranean ingredient. Yeah, I I feel like if you were to think about the essence of, and, and this is hard to distill down to a couple of ingredients, but if you were to find the essence of like cooking the Mediterranean way, you'll probably see among all Mediterranean countries in common, olive oil, garlic, and tomatoes. Uh, those are going to show up uh, a lot in Mediterranean cooking. And then we love to use our fresh herbs like no other. It's not just the gar it's not just the garnish for us. We like we'll throw handfuls of fresh herbs in in our cooking and that makes it a lot more exciting. Citrus is another one as far as a flavor maker. So lemons, limes, anything citrus. Um, but as far as the diet itself, like the Mediterranean diet, um is really largely dependent on vegetables and fruits and grains, a little bit of seafood. And then at the very top of the Mediterranean diet pyramid, you'll find, you know, red meat, which we don't eat as much as much of. We can eat it frequently, but we don't eat as much of it um, in our diet. So, so you know, let's, let's talk about the Mediterranean dish. Uh, you started in 2014. Where did the idea come from? What was the, set the stage for us? Were you cooking? Were you writing? Were people asking for recipes? Were you getting annoyed that you had to send the same stuffed grape leaf recipe a hundred times over? Like, what was the inspiration (laughs) for it? Yeah, sure. Actually, I, uh, I started it just as a hobby uh, to document recipes for my kids. I have two daughters who were born in Michigan and uh, I was in transition between jobs because my family began to move for my husband's career. I I came from a very busy life in fundraising and PR, and I found myself kind of needing something to do in between as we moved for his work. And so um, it actually was kind of a godsend to be able to do something because I was in a pretty tough place to be after having a big career and then having nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was my husband's idea to start 
this website. He actually just came home one night and said, hey, I heard on the radio something about this thing called food blogs. And I'm like, oh, what is that? That sounds really weird. And so he said, well, no, people like share their recipes. And, um, and I wasn't one to look for recipes because I just kind of I cooked. I didn't didn't think you needed to look up something up. So, um, so yeah, I kind of looked the whole idea of a food blog up, and we sat in our um, in our home office and and uh, bought the Mediterranean dish for a whopping like twenty bucks. <laughs> um, and we start. I started the blog. Just I said, you know what? It's crazy. I don't think anybody cares to read what I have to say about food, but I will do this at least for my daughters, because I think um, one place that you can teach your kids and one place that can easily carry your culture and heritage is your food. Um, and so I thought that was a good place to document for them. Um, so un until 2016, I really was not doing it for work, but more for the passion and love for it and to share it with my daughters. And what an amazing place, what an amazing place to put your creative energy and to have this outlet just, for, yeah. I mean, if only just to keep yourself sane, um, to make that transition from a career to motherhood and, you know, being uprooted and what a way to connect you, not just to yourself, but to your home as well. For sure. For sure. And, and, and it was, it was a godsend. I, once it started to pick up in 2016, I, decided I probably should do this for a living. And, and um, that, was, that was that. We're going to take a quick musical break, play a song from the archives, and then we'll be back with Susie from the Mediterranean Dish here on Snacky Tunes on HRN. T minus 10, 9, Dust 8, close. 7, Dust 6, close. 5, Dust 4, close. 3, 2, 1...
You mentioned 2016 is when things really began to pick up. How many recipes has you published at that time? What was your leadership and, and what, what do you think attributed to the uptick two years after starting? Uh, well, a couple of, a couple of things. I don't remember how many recipes I had up by that time, but I don't think it was very many, uh, maybe, maybe over a hundred or so. Um, that's a complete guess. I have no idea, but uh, at that point in time, I mean, I began receiving emails from people saying that they had been following these recipes, um, uh, you know, lost some weight, been able to do this or that. And, and, it, and I was kind of starting to feel the need for uh, a website that spoke to the Mediterranean diet in a, in a modern and approachable way uh, and making these recipes accessible to people. So it was really people prompting me to say more about it, to share more about it. Mm. And so at that point, I was like, okay. I should probably be more consistent in sharing my recipes. I, I should probably take better photos <laughs> of the food. So I picked up a camera and kind of started to learn uh, food photography, food styling, all that jazz, you know, to make it more accessible and um, more desirable, I, I suppose. So I started to do more and more of it consistently. And that's, I think, that signaled to the search engine gods that here is here is this little corner of the internet called the Mediterranean dish and is doing something useful with Mediterranean food. And so I think the recognition began with that, with just organic search um, stuff started to show up and more people joined the journey. And um, I, you know, I, I took social media seriously at that point. I, I finally joined the game <laughs> And began to share uh, with everyone, but really it was just it was just consistency and just a decision I made that it was going to be my mission to bring um, to to bring to the average person um, this this idea of cooking the Mediterranean way. Modernizing cuisine is always such a difficult subject. Uh, you know, the new take on it, or new Mediterranean, or new Greek, or whatever. Yeah. What did you? change or what did you adapt for modern times how you know and if you have an example of a dish that was you know cooked a certain way and then you modernized it it'd be great to understand through that lens uh yeah for sure and it and it is a hard topic and we think about it all the time uh because there's just such a fine line between um you know adapting a recipe slightly and making it more accessible and completely like you know, butchering it. Uh, and I, I'm very cognizant of that. And it's, it's always difficult. But I think for me, it, it really wasn't about taking one specific dish and then making it a different way. It's more about cooking the Mediterranean way itself, like showing people how to use ingredients that you can find at the store, but making them the Mediterranean way. So if you were to cook a pasta dish, Probably if you want to follow the Mediterranean diet, you don't want to do a heavy cream sauce on it, but maybe something lighter uh, with, you know, a white wine and, and garlic and lemon juice. And so it was my approach is more like the general idea of cooking the Mediterranean way and just kind of consistently following the diet over time. Um, and then sometimes it's I, I do share sometimes some traditional traditional dishes uh, like a spanakopita with, you know, in the Greek, very famous Greek feta and and spinach pie. Now, if you were to make that the traditional way, you would have to make the filo from scratch, which I cannot do. And most <laughs> people can't, right? So yeah. I, you know, I borrow the idea of like, go to the store and, and buy the filo dough and, and you can make this recipe at home that uh, is adapted to our, what we can do today at you know, learning to make filo from scratch is probably not everybody's cup of tea. So uh, there's always that solution, you know. I, I also feel like you, as the authority on this, tell people that like, it's okay. Like you don't need to do every single step of this. In fact, most of you would never do this. And then you're like, well, I'm not going to do it at all. It's like to get flavor and the taste and everything, just here's the essence. Let's make this right. super easy for the, the average cook. 
Uh, and if you want to go down a rabbit hole, here's a couple other ways. But for the average person, they, they, they don't have a lot of time. They're do, they have a family or busy or something like that. So that's what I love about your recipes. It's like, uh, you know, I can make this. Even if I've never yeah. done this cuisine before, it's like there's, a, there's at least a lot of entry points within what you're showcasing. Absolutely. So like I will cook a lot of like sheet pan dinners and one skillet dinners and whatnot, which are not a foreign idea to the average American cook. Everybody makes a sheet pan dinner. Mine just happens to have, you know, Italian flavors or Greek flavors or some or something from where I grew up. Like I make a chicken shawarma, you know, sheet pan. And if you were to have to make that very traditionally, you need yourself a nice big vertical spit. You need all, you know, you need the chicken, the fat, all the other pieces layered on top which who's going to do that? You, you know, you're not going to buy these big gadgets to keep at home, but you can achieve some of the flavors of, of that authentic chicken shawarma at home using your sheet pan. So. One of the things that you talk about is, you know, everyone talked about mother or grandmother or father influence, but you touch on your mother-in-law has been an influence as well. Yes. Uh, how has she come into your culinary world and, and what influence has she left on the dishes that you make and write about? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I left home at the age of 17. I moved to the, to the States for college. And so my, my connection with my mother's kitchen, I just kind of had to rely more on memory from when I was a child. Uh, the second half of my life has been very much influenced deliciously by my mother-in-law's kitchen and she is Jordanian and her mother is Palestinian. And Mm. so I learned uh, more of that to access the flavors of the Levant through my mother-in-law. So she showed me how to make things like kibbe and I make my falafel more like hers than the Egyptian falafel. Uh, She showed me tricks to make the best smooth hummus, Uh, things of that nature I learned from her for sure. And, and, um, my husband's family owned a couple of Mediterranean restaurants in, in Michigan. And, and I hung out there a lot with her, uh, and learned a lot of just little things as, as we went along. So yeah, for sure. What is the trick to making a really smooth hummus? Uh, it's ice actually. No. Yes. Yep. Please, yeah, please so. elaborate. Well, so the thing is, first of all, to make the best hummus, you got to start with chickpeas, you know, dry chickpeas and actually cook them and, um, you know, discard the skin. That's one thing that helps the smooth texture because the skin is what kind of makes it, you know, a little bit thicker and lumpier. Uh, And then from there, while the hummus, the the actual chickpeas are running in your food processor with the tahini and all of that. You drop a couple of um, uh, ice cubes as the processor is going, and that actually helps whip it up, and it becomes this fluffy uh, texture. So Amazing. Yeah. Uh, so as someone who has written hundreds of recipes, millions of views, hundreds of thousands of followers – what is your advice for people who are looking to get into us now with all the, the news that the healthiest diet is the Mediterranean diet and people, you know, cooking more at home? Uh, I know that I've swapped out cooking with butter for cooking with olive oil, and that took a little bit of time to learn. What are just some advice and tips for people who want to try this and, and might be discouraged to take on a new type of cooking? Yeah. I first tell people just you know, throw out the word diet because eating the Mediterranean way is is really not, you're not giving up any particular food group that your body needs. You're just making some swaps, right? So you mentioned swapping butter for olive oil. That's a big part of eating the Mediterranean way. Uh, And I would say the second piece would be like, gradually, you're going to get to it. It's the Mediterranean diet pyramid is full of everything that you can eat. We focus at the very base of the pyramid on Uh, like I said, vegetables uh, and grains. And so, you know, slowly kind of switch out some of those processed foods uh, to use more, you know, wholesome, more vegetarian, more, you know, whole wheat, uh, breads, that kind of thing. So I feel like it is a very sensible way to eat. And it's never, it's not, it's not a diet. 
Um, so I think just kind of eventually your eating pattern will lead you to eating this way. And it's not about an overnight thing. It's more like over time, uh, you'll see yourself gravitating toward eating more colorful uh, things than just, you know, brown things. <laughs> I, I have friends who joke about how much brown they eat, like in, in all the starch and all the, all the meats that they eat. If you begin to switch out some of that, uh, eventually you will, you will be eating mostly Mediterranean. Amazing. Well, Susie, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, where can people find you, find your recipes, watch you cook, get updates? How do they get a hold of you? I am on the mediterraneandish.com and on Instagram and Facebook at the Mediterranean Dish. My videos are on YouTube at the Mediterranean Dish. Amazing. Get there yeah. early enough and you can, you can have all of them. Uh, yeah. We're going to play another song from the archives, and then we'll be back with the second half of Snacky Tunes here on HRN.
This episode is brought to you by Fulton Stall Market, reopening their outdoor market in the Seaport District in May 2021. Fulton Stall Market is a nonprofit indoor public farmer's market. It offers locally grown and produced healthy and affordable fresh food to the Seaport and Lower Manhattan community. Fulton Stall Market is a direct sales outlet for over 100 New York region farmers and small batch independent food producers. They have been operating as a public market to serve the Seaport community since 2015. While you shop at Fulton Stall Market, you can pick up a few guides from Escape Maker's informational kiosk. Escape Maker connects urbanites with local farm, winery, craft beverage, and culinary getaways within a day's drive or train ride of New York City. Learn about day trips from New York, where you can explore the best agritourism the region has to offer. Learn more at fultonstallmarket.org and escapemaker.com. Hello, and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm one happy host, Greg Bresnitz. We are joined by the band Cinders. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Hey, hey guys. Hey, what's up? Hey. Uh, do you want to introduce yourselves and your instrument for our audience? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, do you want me to introduce everyone? Yeah. Or? No, you, okay. you do you. All right, no, do... we need we need the voice print so people, when you answer, they can ah. get some ideas talking. Okay, sick. So I'm Adrian. Um, I play the bass and do backup vocals. My name's Brad. I play the drums, and that's it. He does backup vocals without a mic. Without a mic. Without yeah. a mic. Yeah, I'm important. My voice matters, but it's not heard. <laughs> um, and I'm Montana. I do vocals and uh, guitar. Amazing. Lead guitar. So, <laughs> only one guitar now. Well, we have to ask all bands and creatives just how are you guys doing? It's been a year. It's been a. It's been quite year. a year. <laughs> yeah. How are you guys doing? Um, it's been going well. So a lot of people didn't know what to do with 2020 and that's kind of how we started, but we had, uh, some, some shakeups at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. And we're like, let's make 2020 our year. You know, although we weren't <laughs> able to play that many shows, we wrote <laughs> our whole album in 2020, this new album that we have coming out. So we try to be as productive, excuse me, we tried to be as productive as possible, but you know, we still try to have fun it, at the same time. It's kind of, it was actually kind of a, a blessing in a way that we didn't have the shows because it really forced us to be in the studio um, and writing and all that kind of stuff where shows are great. And that's our favorite part of our, what we do. Um, but they aren't, uh, they, they kind of distract from the writing because we got to practice, we got to travel for the shows, we got to do all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> and so it really allowed us to have the time and uh, focus to put the energy onto writing to, to make this album the best that we can. It's so easy with shows to think like I'm doing the work when you're kind of doing a certain type of work, but not yeah. the work of new creation, but you, you yeah, can convince yeah. yourself otherwise. Yeah. There's a lot of areas that you got to focus on, Totally, but it was good though. 2020, other than, you know, everyone getting sick and whatnot for us internally, you know, productive wise, it was, it was a better year. But we've still had some sad moments. Oh, yeah, definitely some sad moments. <laughs> if you're asking us how we are, yes, we've been in limbo and it's been weird and it sucks, but we're here. Yeah, as a, as a, as a band, you know, we've been productive as individuals. We've had ups and downs to, to go with that for sure. I mean, I think that's like the general consensus yeah. for the world. Like yeah. we exist, but we've had some good times and some, exactly. some bad times. We're, we're alive Which, to tell the tale of 2020, right? I mean, if, if you're here... You're doing great. <laughs> What's interesting about your music is that it's, it seems eternally optimistic. Uh, it's very happy. Uh, I see like a lot of fist pumping and singing along just from listening to it. That's a choice, right? You could have written any type of music. How did you decide collectively to, to write this type of music or to be focused on just looking on the brighter side, collective happiness of music? Um, you know, that is actually a tough question. <laughs> a part of me thinks like maybe subconsciously we just are really happy inside, but I don't think that's the case. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, we, I mean, we want our music to, to cheer people up. We want our music to be played during the fun times, not the sad times, I mean, you know, sad there, times too. there's, yeah, there, there's a lot of music out there that, 
you know, makes you pensive and, and you want to listen to when you're in a sad moment, but we, we kind of wanted to target the happy moments of, you know, you're with your friends, you're hanging out, you're listening to music loud, dancing, whatever. And, and the biggest thing was we wanted our live shows to be rocking. We wanted people to go crazy and we want to go crazy. And you can't do that with, you know, melancholy, sad music. You can have melancholy, sad words, but as long as the music's music's high energy and fun, then then people are having fun. Half of our songs, if you only read the lyrics, you would not, you'd be surprised at hearing, hearing the song behind it. So, yeah. And so, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, man. No, go on, please. I was going to say, yeah, to reiterate what Brad said was just like, it's way more fun. We've all played other styles of music before this band, you know, be it acoustic music or hardcore music or singer songwriter, whatever. Like we've all done all that stuff. And this is just, we, I don't even think we had a conversation about it. I think it was just like, let's, yeah, let's just have fun. (laughs) Who cares what it sounds like? Like just go kill it. You know, can we hear a song? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What are you going to play for us first? Let's start with Afternoon. Great. Here we are with Cinders on Snacky Tunes on HRN. How long have you been holding your breath? Your face is turning blue again. Was it something I said? You shattered me, but that's okay. There were pieces of me I hoped would fall away. an anchor between the carpet and couch it's pulling me down I've lost this fight again just like the afternoon I'm running through but I understand oh, it comes with a setting sun just like the
as you mentioned, you spent most of 2020 in the studio. Did And you said that you weren't on tour and you were able to really focus. Going into this next album, did you find that there was any change to the writing process or the songwriting uh, collaborations versus the, the earlier records and recordings? Or was it more of the same? Or, or did anything change? Uh, it changed for a little bit because um, when the, the pandemic first hit, um, we were doing uh, writing sessions remotely. And it was really weird. It was it was definitely a unique experience for us because we, we did it through Zoom where I was sharing my... Because um, I, I have the computer that has the recordings and the mixes and everything. <clears throat> so I was sharing the audio from that and we were all, you know, from our separate homes, um, throwing out ideas and suggestions and writing. And it's just that that portion of it was definitely odd. Um, trying to um, do something that we, we typically do all in the same room separately. You, you don't you don't have the instruments that you can kind of jam with each other on. It's just kind of like all these ideas living in our heads, trying to convey them over, you know, the internet. And it just felt weird. But um, <clears throat> as things started to slow down, um, we started grouping up again and it, that that once we started doing that again, it felt like we were back to our normal roots of writing, and it definitely helped us a ton. Do you think that there were any songs that came out that could only have come out because you were in the pandemic and you were separated, or do you think these batch of songs would have been birthed one way or the other? I think that they would have been birthed one way or the other, maybe not as good. <laughs> uh, not to you know toot our own horn or anything like that, but I feel like... Toot away. Yeah, no, I feel like we would, I don't want to say settling is the right word, but I think we would have settled for earlier drafts of the song because we were on, you know, before the pandemic hit, we we toured, you know, the full US twice through that time and, and abroad. And so we didn't have much time to really sit down and focus. So I think we would have came up with ideas on the road and be like, oh, that's so sick. Let's just lay it down. And then kind of been like, oh, that's fine. Like, we'll work out the kinks on the road. But now when we have no one to really... Uh, show the mock trials to we had to be really introspective in the sense of like hey this sucks or this could be better here you know so I, yes i think they would have all been birthed but yeah just not as not as fun were you able to all push each other too now that you couldn't use like the uh, audience as a litmus test did communication grow better as a band do you feel tighter as a unit from being in this kind of isolation together? Oh, 100%. Uh, I mean, we lost a couple members of the band um, right before the pandemic hit. And so, like, that alone, like, I don't know if I can blame it on the pandemic or the fact that there's less of us, but we've definitely become very close-knit and very tight. And it's, it's honestly been amazing. You know, it's just three best friends doing this thing together. And um, yeah, it's just forced us to, I mean, when, when you have such a big band, the writing process and the working process, you're, you kind of go into groups and work on stuff together. And these guys are working on this and, you know, it's, it's, it's a team effort and teams aren't always, you know, in the field or on the court, sometimes they're in the sidelines doing other stuff. And so with having three people, it's like having five people on a basketball team. Like All you're, you're, you're always there. You can't just like sit back. And so it's, it's kind of forced us to always be the ones that are, you know, moving things along. We can't take a little break. And so, well, these, the, these two, Adrian and Brad, uh, very rarely wrote lyrics in the past and they really um, <clears throat> expanded on that and helped a ton with lyric writing, um, you know, bringing their own full on uh, like verses or sections um, to me, as well as um, editing certain lyrics or like changing certain things to add more emotion. Like they've, they've definitely improved in that aspect and it's, it's super fun working with them lyrically on that now too. Can we hear another song? Yeah, totally. What are you going to play for us next? 
Um, so this one is our single that came out in uh, February, February, February 26th. It's called Growing Up. Funny how growing up is also a part. If we knew it in this way, why'd we even start? I'm over this too old I bet you thought that growing up would make you more mature, but I feel more like a kid than I ever did before. I'm all the time I guess that's just the way it goes it's breaking by design yeah yeah everybody wants a piece of me and I don't know why there are only so many parts before I roll over and cry finally beginning to release new music there is a new album on the horizon can you feel the anticipation building can you can you feel a, a sea change if you will yeah uh i mean again not to tutor on horn we we never we never did anything <laughs> so stressful and and awesome at the same time like we've been super diy until this album um where everything we had we just you know, scrounged up some money together to try and get it mixed and mastered and just was like, here you go, world. We released it on our last album. We released our first single in January and released the album October, in October, September. September, October, with like nothing <laughs> in between. We were just like, let's just put out music because we have it. And now we got our new manager and he, we told him we did that and he laughed at us. He's like, yeah, that's not how this is going to go anymore. Um, and so he's he's shown us some things to use the good phrase of what do you say the tides are turning mm -hmm. I really change, like, yeah he change yeah man because like we were fortunate enough we had never we had always like had that we have this uh vision board in our studio of things that we wanted to achieve and we were like oh man like we want to be on a spotify editorial playlist because we had never had that before and we are fortunate enough with that first single growing up that we just played uh, to to get on three, and so we were like, ah, this, this is this is this is starting to get some good hype as well as some good local press and uh, featured on like satellite radio and whatnot too. Well, we just barely came back as well from a music video shoot on mm -hmm. the this first song that we played afternoon. 
um, <clears throat> the the music, the music video for Afternoon. It was crazy because we uh, filmed it out in L.A. Oh, hi. With well, oh hi. <laughs> it's pretty much L.A. Um, <clears throat> and um, it was directed by Josh Radner, who um, I mean, he's a very uh, famous actor director. He's done a ton of stuff as well as uh, it starred Abigail Spencer, who is, you know, another famous person. And like the, just us hanging out with famous people is crazy. <laughs> like when you say tides are turning, it's like we've, we never do, we've never done that. And so it was very fun and very unique experience that we'll always hold on to. Yeah. So as the country and the world gets vaccinated and as musicians who love the road, when you close your eyes, or you think about it, like, what do you think you're going to feel right before that first song is played for an audience? Um, I think we're all going to be crying. Yeah, I'm going to be crying, <laughs> genuinely. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think every musician's going to feel the same, but it's just going to be like, I like, I remember now, like, this is, this is why I'm doing this. This is my love. This is what I find so much joy out of. And I mean, there's a lot of musicians out there that they, they're not in it for the shows. They just want to write music and, and release it and stuff. Perform but, music. Some of them don't even write it. They just yeah. want to be, you know. And, but I mean, we're, we're one of the live bands. We <laughs> live for, for shows. We yeah. want to hear fans screaming. We want to, to, to do all that stuff. And so, I mean, I'm just going to, have goosebumps the entire you know 45 minute set like my skin's gonna be exhausted at the end of that show it's gonna be like that was brutal man and then it's gonna suck after that first show because it's like ah oh, that instant high has those instant lows man that's true uh well i want to make sure that we have time for one more song but where can people find you find your music follow you get all the updates make sure that they stay tuned for the releases that will not be coming out nine ten months apart <laughs> Um, just about everywhere it's Cinder's music. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Adrian always likes to bring MySpace, MySpace, um, which is not true. But we do have a Tumblr. We do have a Tumblr. Uh, it's all at Cinder's music. Um, as well as on Spotify, it's just Cinder's. Um, and we have all the links on Cinder'sMusic.com if they true. just want to go there. <laughs> Great, amazing. Uh, what are you gonna play for us last? Uh, this last song we're going to play is a little bit of a sneak peek. Um, it's a song called A Fix of Nostalgia. Amazing. Uh, thank you to our food guest. Uh, thank you to everyone for tuning in today. Thank you, Cinders, for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of Snacky Tunes. We'll see you then. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Just my
than to walk away. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.